When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, Buff Nation? Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast. We are, of course, presented by the American Raptors. Head on over to AmericanRaptors.com. Grab your free ticket for one of their rugby matches at Infinity Park. Or go ahead and hit that website and stream all other games on the website that is AmericanRaptors.com. If rugby is your thing, you can also check out the DNVR Rugby Podcast. We've got our guy Colton Strickler on there, breaking down the fantastic game of rugby. If you are a football fan and do not know the rules of rugby or uh, have not really been introduced to the sport, I would encourage you at some point just to check it out. Maybe the DNVR Rugby Podcast is your gateway. It is a great game, uh, very similar to football and lots of fun. My name is Jake Schwanitz. Today on the DNVR Buffs Podcast... Going to be somewhat of a longer show than usual on these Mondays. Um, if you noticed on Saturday night, Sunday e- uh, mon- morning, I should say, we did not have a post-game pod. Um, <laughs> frankly, I didn't really want to talk about the game right after because, man, that was pretty brutal for the Buffs. But we will get into the game. We will break it all down. Uh, we also talked to Mike Sanford on Sunday evening on a Zoom press conference. A couple nuggets there that I will share with you guys And then we will get into our usual Pac-12 recap for the week at the end of the show. So a longer one on this Monday. Hope you guys enjoy that. Sorry for no post-game pod, but hopefully we make it up here with a longer one. Let's get into the game. Obviously, it was really, really tough for the Buffs in multiple ways. They lost to the Oregon State Beavers 42-9. It wasn't really close, honestly. Um, sort of a tale of two halves, I guess. I mean, we'll start in the first half and kind of talk our way through. We're not going to break down the whole game because the second half uh, got very, very ugly, as I'm sure you guys remember. To start the game, CU had the ball first, did absolutely nothing with it. They went three plays, two yards, two runs to Anthony Hankerson, a JT Shrout in completion, and they were out of there. Punted it to the Beavers, and I can't remember who... Goldbranson was trying to hand the ball off. I want to say it was Anthony Gold or Silas Bolden um, coming across on like a, a end around or a reverse type play on the first Beavers play from scrimmage, and they fumbled the football. Extremely fortunate for Colorado. I mean, this was a perfect break for them to start this game, and it was something that we talked about that had to happen with Goldbranson. Um, if CU wanted to stay in this game and have a chance of not just covering but possibly winning at the very end, Um, Of course, this is a team that CU took to overtime last year. We'll talk about that a bit more after the game and just uh, the differences in year to year for both these teams. The Buffs get the ball. uh, Two JT Shrout incompletions. Anthony Hankerson is given the ball on third and 10. 
He uh, runs for a two-yard loss, but also fumbles the ball. And this play would be the last that we see Anthony Hankerson for the rest of the game, actually. Uh, Mike Sanford confirming in that Sunday press conference that he was injured. He was not benched. So that is good news on that front. It is somewhat of that uh, lower body injury. We don't know the exact details on it. But that's the issue that Hankerson is dealing with. Been dealing with that since the offseason when he arrived at Boulder and was trying to get on the field early in the summer. Um, able to work his way back, obviously, but looks like he may have re-aggravated that injury. Coach said he was in a walking boot. We did not have an update on his status for next week, but keep it tuned here. We'll be sure to get all those updates out for you guys. Oregon State then responds. They have a nine-play, 40-yard drive for a touchdown. Damian Martinez gets his first of the game. Um, it was really just, it was nothing crazy that Oregon State was doing. It's just what we talked about or what I talked about to you guys on this show last week. This team is very talented in almost all areas, really, except quarterback. They have so much speed on the outside. They've got some dynamic backs. They've got a great offensive line. That was on display on that first touchdown drive. CU gets the ball back. They manage some offense. It's an eight-play, 27-yard drive. Um, nothing really going. Two JT Shrout incompletions on second and four and third and four. Result in the punt. Oregon State gets the ball back. They begin to flex their muscles once again on an 11-play, 82-yard drive. Gobranson starts to find his stride here. He keep, completes, a, I think it's three, four passes of 10 yards or more, including the touchdown to Silas Bolden from 16 yards out. Uh, Colorado got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on that uh, touchdown by Justin Jackson. That resulted in an Oregon State onside kick, which was strange. Um the Beavers felt like they needed to grab an extra possession on the Buffs, which ultimately at the end of the day, they obviously didn't have to do, but they kicked the onside kick. Colorado gets a short field. They're not really able to do much with it again, but they are able to drive in a field goal range to the Oregon State 26-yard line. Jaylee Stacks comes in at this point and really starts running hard. Colorado gets on the board. It's 3-14. to The ball goes back to Oregon State. They punt. Colorado then punts the next drive, and then with about... Oh, four minutes left in the second quarter. Oregon State mounts another touchdown drive. Um, some roughing the passer. Another unsportsmanlike conduct on Jamar Montgomery. Um, a holding on Quinn Perry down near the goal line gives Oregon State first and goal from the Colorado three. Damian Martinez runs it in again. Colorado gets the ball back right before the end of the half. They turn it over on downs trying to drive down the field. They get to the Oregon State 37 actually, but that is about it. We'll briefly touch on the second half, but it, I mean, I think we all know what happened then. Oregon State opens the drive. Very, very explosive drive from them. Four plays, 80 yards to start the second half. Bengal Branson completes a 60-yard touchdown pass to Jack Velling. That makes the score 28-3. The very next drive, JT Shrout drops back to pass on the first play of the drive and throws a pick six to Alex Austin. All of a sudden, the score is 35-3. Colorado would fight back in the second half to get a touchdown. They were hanging around that 23 and a half number to cover the spread, but just could not. They, it wasn't even close, really, guys. I think you all know that. I don't have to tell you. Some of the stats, though, JT Shrout, 13 of 29 passing, 206 yards, two interceptions. Bengal Branson, he didn't have to do much. We talked about Colorado would have to get pressure on him, have to force him into mistakes, try to confuse the young freshman. Uh, that didn't really happen. 
He threw 14 to 22 passes, 202 yards. He had two touchdowns. He did have that fumble. That was really his only mistake on the day, though. As a team, when it came to rushing, Colorado only 84 yards on 28 carries. That's a 3.0 yards per attempt average. Leading rusher was Jay Lee Stacks, 50 yards and eight carries. He also had that touchdown. Also had the longest run for the Buffs that game with 19 yards. Receiving-wise, man, it was a rough day for these receivers. Jordan Tyson, when you look at the numbers, great game. Three receptions, 92 yards. He did have that big 58-yard completion later in or early in the fourth quarter. That drive ended in a fumble, though. Charlie offered all put the ball on the ground, and that drive was really over. Even though Colorado was threatening to score, they got all the way to the Oregon State 13-yard line and a brutal fumble on that front there. In terms of the other receivers, Montana Lamonius Craig wasn't really able to bring back another performance that we saw last week. This week, only two receptions for 30 yards. RJ Sneed getting a little bit involved. I think we'd all like to see more from him, though, too. Three receptions for 27 yards. Daniel Arias, only one reception for 14 yards. Of course, he had the drops. He really struggled on Saturday night. Jack Estera makes an appearance, too. We haven't seen him for a while, uh, but we saw kind of what he's capable of doing. Maybe we see him get more involved in the offense moving forward. He had one reception for 21 yards. In terms of Oregon State, it was a rough day rushing the ball uh, on the buffs. 270 total yards rushing on 44 attempts. That's a 6.1 yards per carry average. I think the run defense was actually still better than we saw in the first five games under Chris Wilson and Carl Durrell. The levies just kind of broke late. They had some really big runs later in the fourth quarter. I mean, all these yards count the same, and it's all, of course, going to affect the average all the same. But I think there was still a solid showing in terms of run defense in the first half. Um, in the second half, it really just got away from the buffs in terms of game pace, and that's where Oregon State really just started to run the ball and be more physical than the buffs. Damian Martinez, the freshman running back for the Beavers, 22 carries, 178 yards, three touchdowns. He had a long run of 40 yards. Receiving-wise for Oregon State, we didn't really see much from those speedsters. I mean, Silas Bolden had that one uh, touchdown of a reception for 16 yards. Anthony Gould, only one reception for 12 yards. Jack Velling, he had the big 60-yard touchdown. But that was about it. We didn't really see Silas Bolden or Anthony Gould in terms of the running game uh, trying to be trying to stretch that Buffs defense side to side. I guess they really didn't have to do it. Um, but the, the speed was out there. It was very apparent. And it was something that we talked about uh, all last week, how the speed of this team is so much better. And it was a handful for Colorado to deal with. Defensively, not a great game, really, as I mentioned. Um, Josh chandler Tomato, your leading tackler with 11 again. He had one tackles for loss and a pass breakup. The Buffs only had one sack on the night. Robert Barnes and Marvin Ham split a sack at one point. Offensively, the pass protection was pretty good. I thought JT did have some room to move around. He only took one sack that came from Easton, Mascarenas, Arnold. Uh, leading tackler for Oregon State was Jaden Grant with six tackles. Jack Coletto comes in. He has five tackles too, their second leading tackler. Not really too much from Jack Coletto on the ground too. Uh, offensively, four carries, 11 yards. He was used in those situations we talked about. It was obvious he was getting the ball and he just plowed straight ahead. I'm pretty sure he picked up a few first downs for the Beavers. Let's take our first break. I'm going to tell you guys about our friends over at Game Time. Game Time is the hottest new ticketing site that makes it easier than ever to score the best deals on tickets to sports, concerts, shows, Buffs games, Broncos games, Avs games, Nugs games, you name it. Uh, you won't find a better deal this season 
on any of those tickets. It's created by the fans for the fans and guarantees the lowest price. I would recommend when you're using this game time app, you gotta you gotta be consistent with your use in it. Check it multiple days in advance of your event, and then as you get closer to your event, the day or two before, keep on hitting that link, seeing how much these prices drop on the tickets you're trying to get. That's the way to use this app and make sure that you get the best deal on tickets for any event you wanna go to. If you love DMVR, then you'll love game time. The best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the description. It's in the podcast description. Also, if you go on thedmbr.com, go to the podcast article. It is in that description also. Join over 15 million people who have downloaded the Game Time app and score the best seats to all your favorite events. Also, shout out to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. NBA season is back. Hope you all have been enjoying that. Over the last week or so, tons of games to bet on. The Nuggets have looked really good after dropping their first game of the season with wins over the Warriors. Uh, I can't remember who they also beat, but the Nuggets are starting to hit their stride. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Also, they have stepped up same-game parlays. Tons of deals going on. I think on Sunday night, they had a promotion where if Tyreek Hill got over 50 yards receiving and Steph Curry got over 20 points in the Warriors game. They were going to boost those odds. I think it was like minus 700 combined. They boost it to plus 100. Um, Max $25 bet. You put 25 on that. You immediately get 25 back. All kinds of promotions going on over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DMVR. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Again, that's only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code DMVR. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. For our pick of the week this week, there's a few that I like. If you go to Thursday, this Thursday, there's some NFL football. We also have three college games. At, it looks like 8 p.m., we have Utah traveling to Pullman to play the Washington State Cougars. The Utes are seven and a half point favorites. I love the Utes in that game. Um, I also love on Saturday morning, Ohio State Going to Happy Valley to play Penn State. The Buckeyes only 15 and a half point favorites. I do not think Penn State can keep up with the firepower Ohio State has. I like the Buckeyes minus 15 and a half too. I'll be on DMVR bets actually throughout the week. If you're more interested in some of that content, keep an eye on the YouTube page. I'll be chopping it up with Andre Simone about Monday Night Football tonight. Also, we'll be doing guest aligns on Tuesday. Shout out to DraftKings Sportsbook. Hope you guys take advantage of many of those deals that they have. Let's get back to some of these storylines from this game, and then we'll get into your responses. First things first, the quarterback. This was JT's, I don't want to say it was his final shot, but this was, we didn't really see him in a setting like this. He's had a lot of adversity and things out of his control contributing contributing to his playing time and just what was unfolding in those games that he played in. Of course, that Air Force game was just a mess in terms of the weather. Uh, The TCU game had to split snaps. Minnesota just sort of thrown into uh, a buzzsaw at that point. The Beavers were really tough to stop on that day. So finally, it is another road game, but we see JT Shroud. There's no rain. Um, The receivers are there. He's got some of the backs in the backfield to start the game. I mean, if Hankerson and if maybe Deion Smith were there, it helps out JT more. But I don't know if we really saw it from JT this week, guys. I think it's pretty clear that once Owen is healthy and able to come back, he will be the starting quarterback now. 
With Brendan Lewis gone, I think JT has a stranglehold really on that backup job. I mean, we would have seen Drew Carter, I think, if the coaches felt that he was able to really make a difference and improve on whatever JT had done. And we just didn't see that. So I think that was pretty telling in and of itself. These wide receivers, though, they got to help out JT. And, you know, I think some of it maybe is on JT, too. It kind of reminds me of Drew Locke in Denver. And I think one of his issues when he was playing quarterback for the Broncos, he really only throws the ball at one speed and one one trajectory. Um, It's really they love to show off that arm strength and they throw these beeline throws they need to be able to take some off of some mustard off of those balls because a lot of these drops, I mean, while you can say, yes, they're hitting the receivers in the hands, maybe they are a bit behind and JT needs to be better with his ball placement. They're hitting these receivers in the hands. They got to catch these balls. And maybe the thing that JT can do is just take a little bit off of those balls, make them more catchable for his receivers. And I think that it'll benefit the entire team. Um, until then, I, I don't know, though. I think that's something that Owen does. I don't want to say he does it well, but it's just what he does because he just doesn't have as strong of an arm as JT. He just throws a more catchable football, I believe. Defensively, I mentioned I think we saw some improvement. I think we all would have liked to see more. Um, I think midway through the third quarter, the Buffs allowed up to 155 rushing yards, so it was a solid performance. As I mentioned, the levees just kind of broke in that fourth quarter, but it's there's some improvement. It's... It's not going to be night and day every week. Um, I think that last week against Cal was an opportunity that we we talked about that opportunity before the season, that this is a team that Colorado can beat. Cal really struggled at times against Washington on Saturday also. So Cal, I mean, frankly put, they're not very good. I know Colorado's not very good. Good news is, though, Arizona State, not an, another not very good team on the docket this week for them. We'll see if the Buffs can get a second win but it could be tough sledding once we get to that November slate. That's really it about the game. I mean, I think we're going to have Deion Smith and Fontenot back. We'll just get into that. What Mike Sanford said on Sunday night, um, he obviously talked about the injuries. We saw Hankerson, or I mentioned Hankerson going out. We saw Van Wells get rolled up on too. Coach Sanford said it was positive news, and they continue to get good injury news on the front of Deion Smith and Alex Fontenot too. Both are in a good place to potentially play on Saturday. Van Wells was in a walking boot, I think. Uh, They did a bunch of x-rays and stuff. He came back clear. I think it's more of a back issue rather than an ankle issue. As they said, that came back pretty clear. No x-rays. Josh Chandler-Semedo, he's been dealing with an issue in his lower body throughout the season too, but he's been able to suit up week after week. We'll get an update on Owen McCown at some point too. I do think that there's a very good chance we see Owen McCown this weekend. Um, in terms of the offensive line, I think this was probably the only real big note to come out of that Sunday press conference. We saw Gerard, Christian, Lichtenhan, Casey Roddick, Van Wells, Tommy Brown, Jake Wally left to right in that order as the offensive line against Oregon State. Coach Sanford says he's feeling very comfortable with them. He feels like Jake Wiley is really solidifying that right tackle position. Um, we've already heard a bunch about Van Wells and how the freshman's been playing at center. Assuming he's healthy, he is going to be the starting center. Coach Sanford really raved about Casey Roddick and Tommy Brown's level of play, the two guards against Oregon State. Um, Gerard Christian Lichtenhan still kind of coming along, the young left tackle there. But if all are healthy, this is going to be your offensive line moving forward the rest of this year, barring any unexpected circumstances. 
Let's get into your replies from the game. It was a tough one, and you guys let it known too. Lots to get into here, though. We start off with our friend Cole Cook. At Cole Cook 2578 says, Some of the play calls left me scratching my head. Too many drops by the wide receivers. Energy wasn't there after going down early. Oregon State just outplayed the Buffs. Yep, that's about the gist of it. The energy, I mean, when you're down very quickly, 14-3, 21-3, even after the half, feeling like you can build some momentum and they come out, Oregon State does. They have that beast of a touchdown drive with the long pass. And then JT throws the interception. I mean, it's just so hard to keep energy up at that point. 505 Buff says, hard to watch. And like you said, it was brutal. JT was wildly inconsistent. And when he did throw some dimes, wide receivers dropped them. Would love to see CU's O stick to more of a running game than passing. I really don't think it would turn back to feel like the KD games. Lots of work. Yeah, it was kind of a wake-up call, wasn't it? Um, We've heard a lot about the improvement that Mike Sanford has done, the change in energy, what he's done to rejuvenate this program. But there still is a talent deficiency. And I think that when you see the Buffs go up against a lot of these teams that are very good in the Pac-12, USC, Washington, Oregon, it may end up looking more like this than what we saw last week against Cal. Ron Romano says, We don't have D1 talent, but worst of all, Turley has been a huge failure at strength and conditioning. We are slow and weak all over the field. I think being slow is not Turley's fault, but yeah, tons of energy, of, uh, not energy, injuries. Some small or soft tissue injuries too. So a lot of things really not going the buff's way in terms of injury luck. Maybe you can point to the strength and conditioning staff there. Um, I do wonder if it's more just bad luck. I mean, guys like Van Wells getting rolled up on, you can't really stop that. Deion Smith just getting hit cold off a missed block and getting knocked out. You can't really stop that type of stuff either. Um, But yeah, the talent, man, it's... They were able to compete last week, obviously, but there's a lot of teams in the Pac-12, Oregon State being one of them, that are greatly improved. They have a lot of speed on the outside. They have good running backs, good offensive line. Um... It's just it's overpowering when you when Colorado plays teams like that because they are overmatched at so many of those positions. They are able to hang strong somewhat defensively for a while, but we've seen it time and time again in these games where they get behind by a huge margin and everything just kind of collapses on itself. Uh, shout out Ron for the reply. This is from James Sisson. He says, "Is it time? To, is it time now to turn to QB duties over to the younger younger players now?" Um, James, yes, I think Owen McCown is your starting quarterback going forward. I'm really tired of hearing how ready JT is, he says. Ground it, some drops, some drop passes by some receivers didn't help. Plus, the starting backfield wasn't around, but come on now, enough is enough. Time for younger players. I do think they're, they should get some of these younger guys at wide receiver, especially more involved. I'd love to see more from Jack Castera. I'd love to see more from Jordan Tyson and Montana Lamonius Craig. While Daniel Arias and RJ Sneed offer a lot, I think you got to see what these younger guys can do, and especially building some chemistry and confidence with Owen McCown is very crucial to their development. Truck13 says, can't turn the ball over four times and give up 28 points. Our linebackers might be the worst I have ever seen. The angles they take are horrendous, and they are soft. Trevor Woods is the only player in the backfield worth a damn. Once he gets blocked, it's wide open. Shrout has zero touch. We already talked about Shrout having zero touch. Um, on the linebackers, though, I mean, Josh Chandler Semedo has been fine, but when you have one guy out there kind of doing all the work, um, his highlights even kind of get buried because the rest of the guys really aren't playing up to par. Uh, Trevor Woods has been fantastic all year, though. I will agree with that. 
Real Thompson says, I just can't, dot, dot, dot. I think we're all there, man. Nanny Bumpkins says, if receivers caught passes, no one would be talking about JT's problems. The bad looks a lot worse when no one is helping him. We've talked about that too. They got to help JT out. They got to help Owen out too. Um, It was just a really bad game from the receivers overall. That about does it from the replies. Actually, one more here. From News303612, exactly what we needed. Didn't need the ludicrous. Maybe we have our HC already combo going any further. Look, I mean, Mike Sanford, I think those things can be can both happen at the same time and be different. I think Mike Sanford can show improvement for this team and can do better than Durrell, but he can also not really be a candidate for head coach at the same time. Um, There's also the rumors flying around about Rick George, who knows who is going to be hiring this next head football coach for Colorado. Um, Just a lot to figure out here. I think even Sanford himself would tell you that we're getting ahead of ourselves talking about him being the full-time coach at this point. Again, only two games. We'll see what happens this week against an opponent that the Buffs should match up closer in in Arizona State. That's going to do it for your replies, guys, and for the game recap. Uh, thank for Thankful for all your interaction. And even though it's been tough so far, you guys sticking around and interacting and just talking Buffs still is awesome to see. I know there are a lot of changes that need to be that need to happen. We will talk about them as they go and as this offseason unfolds. Before we get to our Pac-12 recap this week, shout out to our friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. Head on over to www.breckbrew.com to use their beer locator, find a Broncos Country Pale Ale near you. I've been crushing Mountain Beach Sours. That beer is fantastic. They also have Strawberry Sky. We're heading into the fall and winter season. Maybe get yourself a Vanilla Porter Jr. and watch some nuggets as you're crushing one of those too. So many great beers to choose from. Again, head over, head on over to www.breckbrew.com and use their beer locator to find a Broncos Country Pale Ale or any of their great beers near you. All right, let's get into our Pac-12 recap this week. Again, only four games in the conference. We already talked about the Colorado game. The headliner, though, number nine UCLA traveling to Autzen Stadium to play the Ducks. This was a pretty fun football game, an eye-opening football game for many reasons, too. Oregon starts off with a strong opening drive, led by a few nice Bo Nix passes and a strong running game. They settle for a 44-yard field goal to open the game. Charbonnet and DTR respond. They lead a long drive that only goes 38 yards, but it's 14 plays. Just an extreme drive with very little to show for it. A couple penalties, and Oregon holds them to a 47-yard field goal. We're tied at seven, or I'm sorry, at three early on. Bo Nix, though, I got to give him credit. He played fantastic with his arm and his legs. He leads Oregon to their first touchdown on an eight-yard run. UCLA responds with an explosive pass to a wide-open Keegan Jones, who blazes down the sideline. We are tied at 10. It's looking like we're going to have a real fun back-and-forth game. Oregon gets the ball back. Bo Nix follows it up with a dime 49-yard pass to Troy Franklin down the middle of the field. Oregon then kind of takes control of the game at this point. They're up 17 to 10. They go surprise onside kick that is recovered by the kicker. Just very well executed, well done by the kicker too, to not tip his hand and to kick it just far enough for him to follow the football and recover it as soon as it hits the 10-yard mark. Oregon then takes advantage of that extra possession and another touchdown. Immediately, they're up 14. It's 24 to 10. UCLA feeling it early. They respond somewhat, though. 
only a 44-yard field goal, so we're at 24-13 at this point. Oregon then has a monster four-minute drive to score a touchdown before the half. I mean, this was clinical four-minute offense type stuff. Receivers were getting open. Knicks was hitting all of them. Um, he was moving around with his legs. He had a nice roll-up touchdown pass to make the score 31-13. to Really, at that point, it was kind of over. UCLA opens a second half with a 13-play drive that, again, results in field goals. Um, so not being able to score touchdowns was another big reason for UCLA. They were moving the football but had to settle for too many field goals. Oregon's running game uh, was powerful all game long, though, and Nix was on it. He throws another touchdown pass to put Oregon up 38-16. UCLA managed to keep moving the ball and scored a couple of touchdowns late, but Oregon flies in a 45-30 to victory. Another undefeated Pac-12 team knocked down. Looks like the playoff hopes for this conference are kind of out the window now. Maybe Oregon if they run the table, but I think that opening game loss to Georgia, that nasty loss is going to loom large for them. Bo Nix, as I mentioned, he played well, man. Credits due where credits due. Uh, home Bo Nix is a real thing, and he showed it again. 22 of 28, 283 yards and five touchdown passes. He also added 51 yards on the ground on eight carries. Noah Whittington, the Oregon running back, really stood out to me. He had 12 carries for 73 yards, but Bucky Irving was the leading rusher, 107 yards on 19 carries. DTR played fairly well, 27 of 39, 262, two touchdowns. He did have an interception, however, though. I'm pretty sure that that interception came late in the fourth quarter in the second half, though. Um, so Oregon had already taken control at that point. Zach Charbonnet just continues to churn out yards on the ground, 150 yards rushing, 20 carries, one touchdown. He looked fantastic. Jake Bobo, another good game at receiver for UCLA. Eight receptions, 101 yards, and a touchdown. On the Oregon side, though, Troy Franklin, the receiver, is a guy to look out for in terms of draft um, draft things and just all Pac-12 type of players. Eight receptions, 132 yards, two touchdowns. He also had that 49-yard touchdown reception. DTR fumbled the ball once, wasn't lost, uh, didn't lose the fumble, though, but did have the interception. No sacks on either side. I mean, the offenses were really doing whatever they wanted on both sides. It's just Oregon stealing that extra possession and UCLA not able to turn those possessions um, into touchdowns and settling for field goals was really the downfall for them in this football game. Moving on, this is the Buffs' future opponent this weekend. Arizona State traveled to Stanford to play the Cardinal. It was... I mean, tale of two halves in this one, too. Emory Jones was back at quarterback for ASU. He should be starting versus CU. We will keep an eye on that. He looked decent at times. Um, Stanford opens up the game, though, with a strong drive. McKee has still been playing very well. He is someone I have my eye on, man. Davis Mills, you look at his progression coming out of college and playing for the Texans last year and just how he operates an offense. McKee really has a lot of that to him. He's able to make accurate throws to open receivers. He's sneaky athletic. Um, he's got great timing, too. Stanford settles for a 44-yard field goal on that opening drive, though. They take a 3-0 lead early. ASU responds. A couple open throws from Jones result in a 15-yard Xavier Valade touchdown run. They take the lead. Stanford responds with another solid drive, but have to settle for another field goal, this time from 36 yards. And Emory Jones stays hot at this point and leads Arizona on a seven-play, 75-yard drive that ends with a 39-yard touchdown pass from Emory Jones to Elijah Badger. ASU is up 14-6 at this point. It's the start of the second quarter. McKee just continues to play well. He's dealing the ball all around the field. 
I already mentioned he could be a sneaky draft pick type of guy. Stanford goes for it on a fourth down at the ASU 35-yard line, but McKee's pass is dropped, and it's a turnover on downs. The game really takes a turn and starts to get ugly from here on out. Arizona State has a three and out. Stanford has a three and out. And then Arizona State throws an interception. Uh, Emory Jones has a ball tipped at the line of scrimmage. It falls into a linebacker's hands. And then McKee throws an interception four plays later on their drive. Um, It's a great play by Arizona State cornerback Jordan Clark. Arizona State manufactures somewhat of a drive, but they have to settle for a field goal attempt near the end of the half, and they miss it. It doinks off the crossbar, a massive miss for the Sun Devils. In the second half, ASU punts on every drive but their final one, which ends up being a turnover on downs. Stanford and McKee just kept chipping away, though, um, with three second-half field goal drives. That gives them the win, 15-14. to ASU had a chance on their final drive, but a sack on Jones lost about 10 to 15 yards, and Jones was able to find Badger on a throw that was inside the five-yard line. It was an insane one-handed snag, but he had his toe land out of bounds. That was the end of that drive shortly thereafter. Again, final score, 15-14. to Arizona State not able to take the victory on the road. Stanford holds strong. We'll talk much more about Arizona State as we move through this week. Final game on the docket. Washington traveled to Cal to take on the Golden Bears. Michael Penix and the Huskies looking sharp as they still try to recover from those two early season losses to UCLA and Arizona State. They kind of kept it rolling. Penix and the Huskies look sharp to start, but the drive stalls and they settle for a 40-yard field goal to open the game. Cal's offensive struggles continue from what we saw against the Buffs last week. They are forced to punt after five plays. Another long Husky drive follows that in a similar fashion to the first. 14 plays, 62 yards, and they end up settling for a 35-yard field goal. Score at that point is 6-0 Washington. Cal goes three and out, gaining only three yards on the next drive. Huskies get a short field from their own 46, and another long plotting drive that goes 12 plays, only 38 yards though, ends in a missed field goal from 34 yards out. The Huskies actually got to down to the goal line and scored a touchdown, but it was called back an OPI. A lot of moving backwards on that drive. Cal then punts again. Washington punts. Cal punts. Washington ends the quarter on downs, but it was a Hail Mary to end the half. It's 6-0 to start the second half. Cal finally finds some offense and some momentum to start the second half. Plummer is starting to find a rhythm and make some throws. He finds J. Michael Sturdivant for an 8-yard touchdown pass. It's a 13-play, 75-yard drive. The Huskies respond with a solid drive of their own, 11 plays, 70 yards, capped off by Cameron Davis' six-yard run. At this point, the score is 14-7. to The Huskies go for two on that drive, actually, and end up getting it. Cal then have a breakthrough drive of their own. It's an explosive 48-yard touchdown pass, plumber to Sturdivant. The Huskies with a statement drive in response, so Panic's just so confident and accurate when he's throwing those tight window throws. He hits Jalen McMillan from 13 yards out for a touchdown. And then Cal's offensive struggles return. A three-play minus five-yard drive. It's three and out. The Huskies put an exclamation point on the game as Penix finds Richard Newton for a 36-yard touchdown where Newton breaks multiple tackles down the sideline. Cal is able to respond once more with another good long drive. 12 plays for 80 yards to make it 28-21. to But then the game becomes sloppy as they kind of finish it out. Three straight punts result in Cal with a chance at the end of the game. Um, There's a crossing route. 
coming over and Plummer rolls out. Can't find the receiver on fourth and two. The game ends 28 to 21. The Bears show a little bit more explosiveness on offense than we saw against the Buffs, but a tough day for them overall offensively. Michael Penix still looking really, really sharp. He completed 36 of his passes on 51 attempts, 374 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Not really much going for the running game for Washington. 32 total attempts, 102 yards on the ground. That's 3.2 average. Cameron Davis did have that six-yard touchdown run, though. Uh, He was the leading rusher for the Huskies. 13 carries, 46 yards. In terms of receiving, Jalen McMillan was the guy for Penix, not Rome Odunze. Odunze, six receptions, 63 yards, but McMillan, eight receptions, 81 yards. He had that touchdown. Penix completed the ball to plenty of different wide receivers, hitting at least 11 guys. On the other side for Cal, Plummer, decent day, 21 to 34. He did have three touchdown passes for 245 yards. Not much going on the ground game for Cal, though. Jaden Ott, their standout freshman, 14 carries, 38 yards, 2.7 yards per carry average. He wasn't even their leading rusher. That was DeCarlos Brooks, 10 attempts, 43 yards. Tough day for the Golden Bears on the ground. J. Michael Sturdivant, though, another big game. Eight receptions, 104 yards, two touchdowns for him. Defensively, five sacks for the Huskies defense. They were really coming after Plummer. Braylon Trice had two sacks himself. Zion Tupalo Fatui had a sack himself. He is someone to look out for in terms of draft hype. Not really much going for the Cal defense. Jackson Sermon did have 11 tackles again, but not much coming. Only two total sacks for the Golden Bears. Clean in terms of interceptions on both sides, but not a very eventful game. And the Huskies really had control of this one start to finish, even though there was not a lot of scoring from them or Cal for that matter. So there it is, guys, a full Pac-12 recap and the recap of the Buffs game. We will be moving forward. Um, Today is an off day in terms of going up to Boulder, so no real content coming out for the football side. You can expect that to hit the DMVR at the website. Um, Plenty of articles, quotes, and of course, the podcast, Ryan and a bunch of the Broncos guys are out of town. They're traveling to London for the Broncos game this weekend. And actually, Ryan and Allie are taking an extended vacation. So we will not have Ryan on the next two Wednesday shows. We're still figuring out exactly what the plan is for those Wednesday shows. Um, next week's will for sure be audio only. We'll see what happens this week. If I can get a guest on the show, maybe we have Andre or someone jump on. But without Ryan, without Henry... It just may be an audio-only show, so sorry to disappoint there. We'll do our best to get on the video and get a live show for Wednesday, though. As I mentioned, a lot to talk about with the Buffs at this point, a lot of injuries that they're going through as they transition to take on another team that they should be able to really compete compete against and possibly beat in Arizona State. This is a 2-5 and football team. Emory Jones has been the starting quarterback. He has gotten hurt, though, a couple weeks ago where Trenton Bourget came in. He actually played really well. A little bit surprising, I think, that they went back to Emory Jones as Bourget was more efficient in terms of completion percentage, um, average yards per attempt. Uh, he had a 3-1 to one touchdown to interception ratio in that game that he played. I believe that was against Washington, if I remember correctly. He helped them upset the Huskies, yes, it was that 45 to 38 win. So this team is capable of being explosive and creating some big plays offensively. Of course, they put up 45 points in that game over Washington, um, but they have struggled to score points at other times. Of course, last week, as we just talked about in that Stanford game, two touchdowns in the first half, but really went cold. So 
The point being, this is a team, if the Buffs are healthy enough, if McCown is healthy and back, if he's able to play and get this passing game rolling a bit more than JT was able to, if the receivers catch the football, man, and if this defense can step up and play like they did against Cal, I think a win is definitely in the cards for the Buffs this weekend. We'll talk a bunch more about Arizona State as we move through. Again, already laid out the plans for you guys. Keep an eye on the site at ddmvr.com. Follow the Twitters, my Twitter at jakedmvr. Also follow the B at dmbr underscore buffs. Until Wednesday, guys, let's go Buffs.